This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Wednesday. It's May 1st. Can you believe it? It's already May. And here in Atlanta, Georgia, it's already hot as hell. I guess that's why they call it Hot Atlanta because, man, the temperatures have been in the 80s and the humidity has just been awful. But thank goodness there's this thing called air conditioning because otherwise, man, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But anyway, today's May 1st. I want to take this second really quick to wish my son a very, very happy 18th birthday. He turned 18 this past Monday. A milestone in his life and a milestone in my life. Uh, For many of you that know, I've been raising my son as a single dad for the last four and a half years since he started high school. And just to get the opportunity to watch him grow into the person he is and the man that he will be, or the man that he is, technically he's 18, has been such an amazing journey, an amazing blessing. Uh, I'm so glad his mother let him come live with me uh, for these instrumental years, if you will, as he goes from a boy to a man, because when she and I had that conversation many years ago, I told her, you know, you cannot teach him how to be a man. That's only something a man can do and a man that would be there in his life. So he turned 18 this past Monday. Uh, I talked to his mom on his birthday, I think it was. And uh, she told me because uh, he's, he's working now. He's in school. His grades are great. Uh, he graduates in a month from today. Thank God. Uh, but she told me that, uh, you know, as a joke, um, last weekend she had said, hey, I need $20. And uh, she said she hung up the phone. And the next thing you know, she had a notification from her cash app. Uh, and he had sent her $20. And man, I got to tell you that that touched my heart because uh, a lot of kids wouldn't have done that, mind you. Uh, that's one. And, you know, just the fact that he was there to help out his mom, even though, again, it was a joke. You know, it, it was an awesome feeling. And, I, you know, I can't even get him to take out the trash half the time. Uh, but anyway, uh, happy birthday to my son, Vincent Hill uh, the second. So we got a lot of ground to cover, a lot going on, a lot happening across the country. Uh, a lot happened this weekend. A lot happened yesterday, yesterday excuse me, um, of course, in California, in Poway, California, just outside San Diego. There was a shooting at the synagogue there where four people were shot. One young lady died. Um I covered that on Fox News throughout the day on Saturday uh, over the phone. Of course, with breaking news, a lot of times they just want to do what's known as a phoner. Uh, they don't have time to try to get you in the studio and makeup and all that good stuff. Um, you know, but he- here we go again. There's a-, a shooting. I guess they're calling it a hate crime now where this individual walked into the synagogue and uh, shot these individuals. Now, what's different about this one? Uh there was an off-duty Border Patrol agent, and they've been getting a lot of slack lately. Uh, we don't need the Border Patrol, blah, blah, blah. But there was an off-duty 
border patrol agent actually in the service who was armed, uh, pretty much like me, even in church, I take it there with me because look at Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, the shooter went in, he had on, uh, apparently body armor and some kind of Kevlar helmet. And I don't think that was for the people inside the synagogue. I think he had planned on getting in a shootout with police officers. What he wasn't expecting at this soft target was this armed off-duty Border Patrol agent that returned fire. Uh, the shooter fled, ran uh, from the scene. He was caught sometime later. Um, you know, and I will say, no matter what your religious preference is and all of that stuff, hey, it's your right to be whatever religion you want to be, whatever sexual preference you want, all of that stuff. This is America. I will say there's no place for hate of any kind, of any kind uh, in this country, whether you agree with someone being Jewish or whatever. It's just not any room for it in this country. Um, but thankfully, again, the Border Patrol agent was there. He was able to prevent more people from being shot only. And I know that's not something you want to hear. Only one person died because of this shooting. Uh, the shooter's in custody. But now I want to talk about some of the things that uh, we've seen way too often and we still haven't learned from these mistakes. And I'll use Charleston as an example when Dylan Roof went inside the church there in Charleston and shot them and killed the nine people. He had released a manifesto. He had released it on social media. People had seen this manifesto. The same thing with this shooter in California this past weekend. He had released a manifesto about an hour and a half before the shooting. He had also said he was going to stream the shooting on Facebook Live and things of that nature. Uh, so people saw this. They were aware of what he was saying. You know, I'm sure there's that population that says, oh, this is a joke. And I'm sure there's probably a population that says maybe this guy's off his rocker. But the bigger point is, and this saying it's old, it's cliche, but it's true. If you see something, say something. If I was scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and I saw someone I follow or I'm friends with saying, Hey, at 1130, I'm going to a church and I'm going to shoot 20 people. Guess what? It's my duty as a citizen to notify the authorities, let them investigate it. Say, hey, John Jones says at 1130, he's going to a church. He's going to shoot up 100 people because then maybe police can get to John Jones before this happens. Maybe they can set up perimeters around churches. There's a lot of stuff that can be done there. But see something, say something, man. It, you know, again, it's cliche, but it, it has to happen. It has to happen uh, because this is happening way too often. And I don't want to hear the whole uh, gun debate crap. I don't want to hear that because, again, that only affects law abiding citizens uh, and people that are in Chicago shooting each other. They're not getting their guns from the gun store. And we can have all the gun control we want. If someone wants to go out and do something, they're going to do it. Think about this. In 1993, there was this van that was left in the World Trade Center with some explosives in it, and it barely uh, dented the walls in the garage. Fast forward a few years, 2001, guess what? They flew planes into the World Trade Center. Those towers came down. So my point is, 
people want to do something, they will do it. So all of this gun control stuff, again, it's it's a waste of breath in my opinion. Now, yesterday, um, and Charlotte, I believe, at the uh, at a campus there in North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Charlotte, there was a, a shooting where several people were shot. Uh, I think two actually died for were actually wounded in this shooting and here we are again with another school shooting um you know the motive is unclear right now apparently the gunman uh stated that he was going to the classroom and he shot the guys i just went into the classroom and i shot the guys that's a quote from the shooter who is uh, Tristan Andrew Terrell. That's what he told reporters as he was being handcuffed and led away. Uh, so, you know, here we are again, another shooting uh, at a campus where, when are we going to learn? I mean, we've been doing Columbine, we've been doing everything else, and I know it's hard to track everybody. I know, you know, it's things that you can't see, you can't catch, but at some point, we got to start putting better checks in place, just like at places of worship where people are going in with guns, at, at these college campuses where people are going on in with guns. And, you know, colleges are so lax. I know it's been quite a few years since I've been on a college campus, but I don't remember having to walk around with an ID badge on or swiping into a door or anything like that. I was a student. I went in there in my jeans and T-shirt. I walked the hall. Nobody asked my name. Nobody did anything like that, um, you know, and, and maybe that's something we need to start looking at in these college campuses. How can we increase security so perfect strangers like this Tristan Andrew Terrell doesn't just walk into a classroom and start shooting people? Like, how does he get that far? And how do we let that happen? Well, because we are in a society where certain places we consider soft targets, places of worship, college campuses. So until we start changing our mindset, changing the way we do things, then I think we will still be in the exact situation that we are always in. So uh, again, a lot going on in the world. Um, I want to talk about, I want to switch gears and head out to Minneapolis. And remember, I talked about uh, the former police officer, Muhammad Noor, who had shot and killed uh, the 40-year-old Justine Damon back in July 2017. He was on trial for murder. Now, on yesterday, the jury actually found him guilty of murder. Now, to refresh your memory, uh, she had called 911. Justine Damon had called 911 saying she heard what she thought was a sexual assault going on in the alley behind her house. Uh, uh, Nor and his partner respond to the call. Now, Justine Diamond is uh, white. She's from Sydney, Australia, living in this country with her boyfriend, fiance. Uh, Mohammed Noor is Somalian, so I'm going to set the stage because everybody gets so caught up in what color someone was, so I'm going to set the stage for you. Uh, Noor, uh, Somalian, 
she's Australian, but black and white, put it that way. So anyway, uh, they respond to the call. They're in this alley. They hear what they describe as a noise, and Justine Damon ends up being shot. Now, Noor was the passenger. His partner was the driver. Noor shot through the window uh, across his partner. So surprisingly, in this trial, because he hadn't given a statement uh, the entire time since the shooting, Noor had not given a statement not to uh, investigators with the department, of course, not with the media or anything like that. So he testified that, uh, you know, he felt the threat, um, you know, in that split second. Um, this is what he testified to. He said he, he was startled. Uh, his partner was startled and he responded to what he thought was an immediate threat against his life. Um, and his partner testified pretty much to the same thing that, uh, you know, the look in, in Noor's face when he looked over at him was a look of shock. And, uh, you know, in that split second, he believed that there was something uh, amiss and that there had to be a, uh, an imminent threat. So, um, I'm not sure how, how, how I feel about the, the murder charge per se. I, you know, is there, is there something they could have done differently in their tactics? Maybe not because they got the call that this was happening in the alley. So guess where they're going to respond to and, you know, when it's 1130, 12 o'clock at night, I believe the call was dispatched at 1127 uh, at night. So in Minneapolis or anywhere in this country at 1130 at night, uh, whatever time zone you're on, it's dark. It's not like it's still daylight outside. So uh, they had to respond to the alley. Now, put yourself in those officer's shoes at that moment. You're in this dark alley. You, you're looking for what could be an assault. You hear what they described as a thump somewhere behind the car, and you get a glimpse of a person head and shoulders outside his window. You couldn't see if the person was a woman or a man. Now, this is according to the testimony of his partner. So this is telling you it was dark, and uh, you really couldn't tell what was going on. So... How would you handle that situation? His partner, Harity, says he heard a sound that sounded like a light bulb dropping on the floor and he saw a flash. Uh, after first checking to see if he had been shot, he looked to his right and saw Noor with his right arm extended in the direction of his partner. Uh, outside of the car, Damon put her hands on the gunshot wound and said, Either I'm dying or I'm dead. Um, this is according, again, to the partner. Now, I assume if he's saying he heard what he thought was a light bulb dropping on the floor, uh, maybe Noor dropped his flashlight. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm trying to picture this in my head, but I can't. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about the murder charge, simply because at the end of the day... I, and it's tragic that she died, absolutely. 
But at the end of the day, like these officers were responding to a call for service, a report of a crime. And in those split seconds, when officers across this country have been ambushed in alleyways, uh, hell, they've been ambushed uh, on the, you know, in broad daylight on the street. You know, it's happened in New York. So maybe a, a uh, manslaughter charge. Um, yeah, well, he was found guilty of second degree manslaughter and third degree murder. He was acquitted of the second degree murder charge. So he had quite a bit of charges against him. And like I said, I might, I, I could definitely go with the second degree manslaughter because when you look at the legal definition of manslaughter, your actions, your reckless actions cause the death of someone else. Was it reckless for him to shoot through the window while his partner was in the direction of fire? Absolutely. You can definitely say that was a reckless act. You know, that's not something I would have done. I don't think anybody that I've trained with that I've been on the streets with would have done. I can't Monday morning quarterback his thinking. I was not there. But me personally, not something I would have done. I personally would have either told my partner to haul ass, <laughs> right, or exited the vehicle and approached in a tactful manner. Like, show me your effing hands, get your hands up, things of that nature. So his acts that evening, that night, way back July 15, 2017, they were reckless. No, no doubt about it. They were reckless. Um, what he did inside that car, which does constitute second degree murder or second degree manslaughter, I should say. Uh, but third degree murder, uh, I'm not there because, you know, typically with a murder charge, whatever degree, you have to have that premeditation. Now, I know a lot of people argue that premeditation can be made in, a, in an instant. But I always argue that premeditation is something like you woke up that morning, nor would have woke, woke up that morning and said, hey, I'm going to go kill Justine Damon. I'm going to find her. I'm going to track her down and I'm going to go kill her. Uh, so I'm looking at the law here and third degree murder is only available in three states. It's only a crime in three states, Florida, Minnesota and Pennsylvania. It was formerly in New Mexico, uh, which once had five degrees of murder. Wow. Uh, in Wisconsin, depending on the state, third degree murder may include felony murder, regardless of the underlying felony. Felony murder only where the underlying felony is nonviolent or depraved heart murder. It is punishable by a maximum sentence of 40 years in prison in Florida in uh, the case of a violent career criminal in Pennsylvania and 25 years imprisonment in Minnesota. So third degree murder, if I'm reading this right, still says you have to have the underlying felony of felony murder, which it's not making sense to me because again, when you're when you're talking felony murder, there's 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 a few ways you can define felony murder. Of course, someone died in the commission of a felony that you were committing. 
but there was no felony being committed here. What you had was a police officer on duty who received a call, who responded to the call, and acted in a split second. Um, so that's that's what it says. That to me, that's what it is. But I'm going to read the specific specific instructions for third degree murder in Minnesota. Minnesota law originally defined third degree murder solely as depraved heart murder without intent to affect the death of any person causing the death of another by perpetrating an act dangerous to others in a depraved mind without regard for human life. Okay. Well, if they're saying that they're using the depraved mind without regard for human life, I guess what they're saying is that when he fired that shot, he fired it without regard of human life. Okay. But again, he was on duty as a police officer. All right. In 1987, an additional drug-related provision, um, basically the death of a human being by directly or indirectly unlawfully selling, giving away, uh, delivering, exchanging, distributing, or administrating a controlled substance, blah, 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 was added to the definition of third-degree murder. Up until the early 2000s, prosecution under the provision were rare, uh, but they began to rise in 2010. Some reports link this increase in prosecutions to the opioid epidemic. So all that has to do with drugs. Uh, Minnesota law also defines the crime of third-degree murder of an unborn child with the same elements of a deprived man, mind sorry, and lack of intent to kill, distinguishing it from first or second-degree murder of an unborn child. Both third-degree murder and third uh, Third degree murder of an unborn child are punishable by a maximum of 25 years in prison. Uh, on April 30th, wow, they updated this Wikipedia pretty quick because it says on April 30th, 2019, police officer Muhammad Noor was found guilty of third degree murder after, after fatally shooting an unarmed woman. In that particular case, the jury rejected the first and second degree options. So, if I'm reading the law of Minnesota right, I guess what the jury went with was uh, the fact that he acted without regard to for human life. Well, I guess you can argue that he did, but he, here's the bigger argument um, and why I'm having a problem with the third degree murder charge. The, the manslaughter, I, I, I totally get it, but anytime you pull the trigger, whether you're a police officer, uh, pooking them on the street, the intent of that bullet is to kill someone. And police officers are trained to eliminate threat. And they're given firearms to eliminate those threats. And then those same police officers are also told, hey, this isn't like going to the office where you have a meeting and then another meeting and a pre-planning meeting and then another meeting and then you do a PowerPoint slide and then you finally execute the plan. In policing, you have split seconds to make those decisions that we have charged you with. Protect and serve. Serve and protect. Protect the lives of others. Protect your life. Protect your partner's life. So 
when you're when you're talking about without without regard for human life, that's what a gun is designed to do. It is not designed for any other purpose besides to kill. People survive gunshot wounds all the time. Yes, they do. But a bullet, which is metal with gunpowder, which is fired from a gun and it travels at a very, 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 very high rate of speed. Its intent is to eliminate the human life. So I don't see how the jury came to this decision of the third degree murder. I I mean, I understand it was part of the charging order. But I don't understand how they came to this decision without factoring in the testimony given by Noor because he says he thought there was an imminent threat based on the sounds they were hearing. His partner testified and said he believed there was an imminent threat based on uh, hearing this noise and then seeing a person outside of their car and they couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, which tells you how dark it was. They didn't know what was going on. In their mind, they're responding to a possible sexual assault where this could have been the rapist knocking on the door to fight the police or kill the police or suicide by cop or uh, 20 other scenarios where this could have been anybody but Justine Damon at 1130 at night in that alleyway. And listen, I've responded to calls all the time. Late at night, typically the call taker, A, says I don't want to talk to the officers when they get here, right? I'm just calling in. I'm reporting this. And B, if it's late at night and it's in an alleyway, I don't think I've ever had a 911 caller, and I've answered a few in my day, come out to a dark alley in the middle of the night and knock on my window or the back of my car or anything like that. So I'm just putting myself in their minds back on July 15th, 2017, and I'm I'm rationalizing everything from a police officer point of view, and I can't say it wouldn't have scared the hell out of me. I can't say that I would have thought it was anybody but the person that called 911, because I'm telling you, in my almost six years in patrol, when I've answered a 911 call, either Uh, especially at night, sometimes in the day, people will want to come out and talk to you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But the calls I've answered at night about a possible robbery or a suspicious person or something like that, the dispatcher always asks, do you want to talk to police when they arrive? The average person says no, because A, they don't want to be involved. They don't want to be a witness. They don't want people to know they called 911. There's a, a million reasons why people don't want to talk to the officers, but I've never had someone that called the police and said, hey, there's a crime going on here and it's dark and it's an alleyway. And I've been through some back alleys in Nashville, knock on my window. So I can't honestly say I wouldn't have thought that there was something amiss there and that there wasn't an imminent threat. So I'm having a real hard time when we're talking about without regard for human life, because police, again, are tasked with protecting life. And when you add the fact that he thought he was in danger, he thought his partner was in danger, his partner testified that he thought he was in danger. I think, in my opinion, it eliminates the without regard 
to human life. Like I said, do I agree with the manslaughter charge? Yeah, because his actions, they were reckless. You can't get around that. You can't argue that. They were reckless, but I just think, you know, there, there's so many other factors when you're talking, um, when you're talking police shootings. Now, I'll be curious to hear what the fallout is uh, with this again. And here's why I tied the black and white to it. Of course, you have the white victim. You have the black officer. If you're looking at it from a color standpoint, not nationality, nothing like that. So I'll be curious to see now, since Nor was convicted yesterday, uh, if there will be any protests or anybody saying, well, he was only convicted because he's a black officer, but all of these white officers are getting off. Uh, and they're just killing black men, blah, blah, blah. I'll be uh, curious to, I'll be curious to see if that happens. Um, you know, I haven't heard it yet, but that's the world we live in. So wouldn't be surprised if that happened uh, at all. All right. It is time for my 10-7 segment because it is time to get out of here. I've bored you to death uh, for the last almost 30 minutes uh and if this is your first time listening to the show at the end of every show i do what's known as a 10-7 segment of course 10-7 in most departments means uh means that this is the end of your shift i'm 10-7 for the remainder you're signing off or if you retire you say hey i'm 10-7 for the remainder um but i do this as when i say 10-7 end of watch uh someone has been killed in the line of duty so tonight I want to honor police officer Kyle Olinger with the Montgomery County Police Department in Maryland. His end of watch was Thursday, April the 18th, 2019. Police officer Kyle Olinger succumbed to complications of gunshot wounds sustained on August 13th, 2003, while making a traffic stop at the intersection of 2nd Avenue and Spring Street in Silver Spring, Maryland. He was speaking to one of the occupants when he observed one of the passengers attempting to conceal a handgun underneath the seat. He ordered the man to drop the weapon before a struggle ensued. The man shot Officer Olinger in the neck, injuring his spinal column. The subject and three other occupants of the vehicle fled the scene in the car but were apprehended a short time later. The man who shot him was convicted of attempted murder and subsequently sentenced to a life sentence in prison. Officer Olinger remained paralyzed below his chest. He passed away from complications of his wounds on April 18, 2019. Officer Olinger had served with the Montgomery County Police Department for two years and had previously served with the Reading Police Department for six years. He is survived by his wife and two sons. So let that sink in just for a second. 16 years ago, Almost 16 years ago, he was shot doing what people would say a routine traffic stop, which is why I hate that word. And he passed away just a couple of weeks ago, uh, almost 16 years to the date uh, that he was shot. He passed away. Uh, he was doing something he loved, protecting and serving the community. And he was shot and he lived 16 years paralyzed for protecting and serving the community. And think back to what I said about Noor and his partner in these split second decisions 
And how fast do you think this officer, Killinger, or Olinger, sorry, was able to react to being shot in the neck? He wasn't, obviously, because he was shot in the neck. All right, I want to thank you so much for listening. Again, as always, I love you, I appreciate you, and I will see you same time, same place next week, right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Hey, friends, you spoke and we listened. It's time for you to get your Franken-beans fix on the Dark Delight podcast. Not one, not two, but three days a week. Sit with Frank and I as we dissect the corruption of the swamp, walk the tightrope of acceptable, and share our opinion and analysis on politics, culture, and even add in an awesome guest host or two or three or whatever strikes us in the moment. The Dark Delight podcast airs every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.